0: Make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread.
1: Not only is Molly Carmel an addictions and eating disorder therapist, she is also the founder and treatment developer of Beacon by MC. Molly has a bachelor's degree in social work from Cornell University and a master's in social work from Columbia University. She also has extensive training in substance use, eating disorders, and is intensively trained in dialectical behavioral therapy. Molly describes herself as a normal gal, and she knows what it's like to be brokenhearted, afraid, and completely hopeless from the abuse that follows food, weight, and diet drama. She has battled her own eating disorders and addictions for over 20 years and is now on the other side, ferociously waving you in. Molly considers this her calling not a choice. She has an unwavering passion for helping people break free from abusive relationships with sugar, dieting, body obsession, and the like. Molly believes you deserve to transform thoughts, beliefs, and behaviors to heal your relationship with food and yourself. And now you have her by your side with a pinky swear promise to never give up on you. Welcome Molly Carmel. Thank you so much for being here, Molly. It's always nice to meet another Molly, let alone another clinician in the same field. Um, so thank you again so much for being here. Um, it's pleasure. It's so good to see you guys, yeah, thank you. And, and we were just off air talking about Molly's microphone. We're in love with it and I think we're all going to have to buy one. Here. Oh no, it's, it's amazing. Okay. So for any of our listeners who may not have read your book yet or have, ever heard you speak, um, would you just share your history with sugar flour addiction and maybe like what your aha moment was?
2: Sure. that Sure. That might be the whole podcast, but I will do my best to keep it real short and sweet because I actually think that my story is you know, listen, it's gnarly and it's, you know, and it's long in its decision to finally surrender. But um, the more I tell it, the more people are just like head nodding, yes, 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 yes. And in my book, Breaking Up With Sugar, I mean, that book, it's not easy to write a book, but the hardest part of writing that book was the first, you know, 10 pages of really writing it out. I actually wrote it at Dr. Marty Lerner's house in Florida. And I probably slept for like, three days. Because to me, you know, truth is what heals, right? To me, truth is what heals. And if I was going to write a book, I was going to try to leave it all on the fields for everybody to, you know, if, if there was one piece of that story, like I tried to write that book for eight years, but I neglected to ever tell anybody that I had had bariatric surgery and ate my way through it. And so, you know, the book, the book didn't catch fire, until I decided I was going to tell every... And then I had to do some work around that, and it was a whole thing. But point being is that... I'm not even answering your question, but the point is, is that I think the truth heals. And I think as we listen to each other's stories, especially when it comes to eating disorders and addictions, it's like the more head nodding we can do, the less that disease can take us over. I, I've I've watched it over and over and over again, and in my in my breaking up a sugar community, in my own personal spiritual circles, it's like it's like the heart gets let out when we tell the truth. So I, you know, a lot of the people that we all hang with, everybody has their own theories about things, right? I, I love what Brene Brown says. You know, she says that genetics load the gun, and environment, you know, pulls the trigger. And so my gun was like very loaded from the beginning. Like if you shake the tree of my family, you know, lots of scales come out, right? Lots of obesity comes out, lots of drug addiction, like lots of stuff comes out of it. So I came to this really naturally. And when I right before I turned three, my father um, died very traumatically. Uh, He drove off of a cliff. And by the time that I had the words to sort of figure out what happened there... I turned right to sugar, like at the age of four, you know. And so I couldn't have said that at the time, but I was very food obsessed from the beginning as, as a function of trauma. And I think as a function of biology. And then I think as a function of, of the substance. And, you know, and so to me, it was like, we're going to Playland. Like, what can I eat, mom? You know, we're, like, and but, you know, in the 14, 15, 16, it was like, we're babysitting. Like, what's in the cabinets? Like the whole, you know, such an obsession with food. And, worrisome to my parents. Um, You're talking about your eight-year-old daughter, Molly. Like my mother had me with a nutritionist by the time I was seven. And I've been on so many podcasts. And this is not the podcast that anyone would gasp because you guys are like, totally my mom too. But I'm like, oh my God, like your mother. And I'm like, that lady was so outmatched. Like bless her for trying anything, right? Like, And I just know as as a clinician, it's like really dealing with young young eating stuff is just, it's so challenging for so many reasons. You don't want to impact them too early. You don't want to impact them too late. You love them so much. They don't have car keys. Like the list goes on. But eventually I went to weight loss camp and it was really fun. It was like the best time I ever had in my life, seriously, to, to date. No, I'm just like, well, actually that's probably true. And, you know, and it was so fun, but I'm telling you, I mean, I'm one of those people who's just on her path. Like this is, I'm doing exactly what the divine wants me to do. And I like knew at 13 years old, I was like sitting at this camp in Connecticut and I'd lost all this weight and had our weigh-ins and whatever. And I was like, there's no way I'm keeping this off. Like I will go home. I, I have no idea what's wrong with me. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I have no idea... I just knew it. And would you know it, ninth grade, 14 years old, I'm in home ec and uh, the button pops off of my skinny jeans, you know, my gold weight jeans. And, you know, and, and so it happens, right? And I, I could tell you that that is actually the story of my life, right? Like go on a diet, lose a lot of weight, diet fails me, gain a ton of it back, deep demoralization, self-hate, you know, no relationship with myself, breaking rules, breaking promises, you know, rinse repeat, right? And 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 like the progression of addiction, right? Like that's not that that story just keeps on getting worse over time, right? And I think it part of my journey. Like I'm really of that like do not regret the past kind of gig because I I think it allows me to be incredibly helpful to others. But I mean, I'm talking like there's not a medical or conventional diet that I, intervention that I didn't try in all of this. And I think in that way, creating and developing programs is kind of easy to me because I'm like, well, this works, that doesn't work, this piece works. And and I'm like talking like ashrams and I'm talking like bariatric surgery and I'm talking like not eating this and I'm talking like only eat, like whatever, it's not even that exciting. Except for I can drink enormous amounts of, weight, of, of water thanks to like the dieting that was like 64 ounces. Like I'm just really, I think it's just left over with me. You know, and so there was a part of me, the interesting part, I think, of, of the tragedy of that story is like somewhere in that, I like gra- I like garbled together like a degree and some really beautiful experience that I think was just like part of my path. Like when I was 25 years old, I was recruited to, to be the clinical director of the first ever therapeutic boarding school for adolescent obesity that no longer exists. But these things have been put in my place where I've had these opportunities to train and and learn, and develop. And I think, to be honest, up until I kind of went out on my own, learned like what not to do. I mean, in in those years in that boarding school, um, which I have a lot of feelings about, which I, again, could be like, we could have a therapy podcast and talk about my feelings about that. But it was on that low-fat model, that low-fat calorie counting, exercise, like steps, like... Nothing I believe in, nothing I believe in today. And actually nothing the science believes in today, like pretty much. And like, that's actually like where a lot of my, it's it's really like where the rubber hit the road with my own internal knowing, you know, I believe so deeply in our own eternal wisdom and in tapping into that and that like, we really know what we need when we can get quiet enough and maybe hit bottom enough. And you know, at that school is really where like it picked up in a big way. Cause I was like, you know, binge eating and like, you know, fat-free brownies and gosh, I just wish that was like accurate science though. Cause like the amount of honey mustard pretzels and frosted flakes and fat-free brownies that this girl can go through and like, the amount of artificial sweetener I can put in my body is just like endless. And, um, and so, you know, I was just sort of like, did not you know, it just, it just wasn't working and it wasn't working. And I, I had to hit all of these demoralizing bottoms, like just side note of these demoralizing bottoms. I was reminded of this one yesterday of like, you know, I'm, I'm so like, I am who I am, right. I'm sort of this like cheerleader, you know, rooting for you, fiercely devoted to you. And so I was like this amazing aerobics instructor in college And in college, I was like at that 199 mark. It was like the most exciting day of my life. And I was really bulimically exercising in many ways. thought that was one way you could do it. Fat-free frozen yogurt, bulimic exercise. It was one of my most favorite diets. But again, the diet turned on me. and So by my senior year, I was back up in the 250, 260, 270 range. And I was still doing aerobics. And I got fired. And there's all these complaints about me and not being able to keep up with the class. And, you know, so many of these demoralizing bottoms, just like ripping pants, you know, I think about those moments where um, I had these very judgmental, albeit loving grandparents who raised me in, in many ways. And there was at my heaviest, I was like in my 300, 325 years, like I had this knowing to like not go see them. I was like, cause I, it's like, I, I couldn't handle them looking at me and like, I just thought I'd kill them. I have no other way to say it. I literally thought if they saw me, you know, and by the way, i like, I believe so wholeheartedly in doing your own work, especially as a therapist. Like, I mean, I'm in my own work again and again and again. It's like that I talk about in the back of my book, those like grow or die, like just grow or die and grow or die. And this idea of of this being a relationship with food and a relationship with yourself, like it never ends. You can look at that positive or negative. I, I think it's beautiful. Like it's a beautiful, beautiful unveiling process. And so- I started my own clinic. Well, that's not true. I worked for someone else. And, you know, gosh, it's not like I didn't know it was sugar. <laughs> it's just that sugar was the solution and I didn't want to give it up. You know, I don't drink alcohol. It's a very similar story in that way. It's like I would just have done anything to have it not be sugar. And so, you know, the last the last house on the street was like, uh oh. And um, and so I I uh one day was like at this eating disorder clinic I was working at, and like the the drug reps have left muffins and I, you know, down three of them and I was throwing up in the bathroom and, uh, cause I'd eaten it too fast or I don't really know why because it was the moment and, um, the boss walked in and saw me throwing up and, and then left and wrote me an email like, Hey, uh, can you deal with this? And I was like, absolutely. You know, it just went down the wrong pipe and, you know, it wasn't the worst binge I'd ever had. And it wasn't whatever. It was just this moment where I was like, you guys are taking this seriously. You know, And that's actually when I, I worked on my spiritual life with it. I started going to some of the spiritual circles that we talk about. But the next thing that happened was that, this is the craziest story of why I gave up sugar, by the way. My brother, Mikey, went on paleo. And he started like dumping weight. Now, listen, I'm this eating disorders. I'm an eating disorders clinician doing this work. You know, I'm eye to eye with you. Like I believe in you. And then I'm going home and I'm binging my brains out. And that double life is, I would not, there are so many things I wouldn't wish upon anybody. And this one is at the very top of the list. And so my brother is like, he's just like hand over fist. He's like a bro. You know what I mean? He's like a bro. And I was like, uh, I got to do that because like, this is not a good look for me. So I go on what I think is paleo and I give up sugar and flour and I go through like an enormous detox. Here's two things that happen, okay? I go through an enormous detox and I'm like, I'm an addictions therapist and I'm like, well, this is something, right? And then as we all know, I start feeling better like pretty soon after. And I'm like, like, but for me, and I think this is the only way my life would go, it was like going from seeing like black and white to color. I was like, cravings are gone. That's insane, right? Like- hopefulness is like up, like moodiness, not so much, like sleep is amazing. And I was like, oh. And then it was in that time, like Lustig's thing was big, like sure it was coming big. So like, I was like, you know, in on the hot ticket, like maybe before it was a little bit, before it was cool, just where I like to be. And I have to tell you, like I walked into my, I ran a clinic at that point, low fat calorie counting. And I literally walked in the next day or a couple of, you know, when I sort of understood the science about it and that I wasn't like that. But, and I was like, we're changing things. And people were pissed. I mean, and as and the snack goes up at all, who isn't, you know, like, <laughs> but I was like, we're not doing this anymore. You know, evolve or die is such a an important part of my soul. And like, it's a promise that I make to everyone. I trip. I'm i going to find something better. We're going to do it that way. And, uh, and here we are, you know, and, and that was about, I'm about, almost 12 years off sugar and flour. It's it's never a decision I regret. I can tell you that. It's literally the the most important thing that's, that's ever happened to me. I have to say, like just as someone who's like such diet drama and trauma, like I still am every time I put on a pair of pants and it just fits, I'm like, what a miracle. Mm-hmm. Every time I can I used to live in New York City and I used to walk up these West Fourth Street steps, you know, because I'm I'm a I'm a obesity survivor, you know, walk up those steps. It's like thank God. Wait, release is a part of my story. It doesn't have to be a part of your story. I'm just saying like, like it's just mm-hmm. amazing. And every time I, I just had lunch before our podcast and I was looking at it, it was just this like nice little portion of like some brown rice and some stuff. It was beautiful. And I was just like, wow, this is going to be enough. And then I'm going to do a podcast. Like I love the food I eat. It's just, I love the food I eat. It loves me. It's just peaceful. I get to be of service. My heart is open. The whole thing, the whole thing. So that's my story. What else do you guys want to tell you? What else should we talk about today? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no. I love that so much because I just could relate to so much of what you were saying because I came from the eating disorder world, you know, 20 years, anorexia, bulimia, all the, all the things, not one ounce of fat in 20 years. Like I just did not do it. And no wonder I I kept craving an impulsive eating, you know, because your brain's not working. I but right. I remember when I knew it wasn't it wasn't eating disorders for me because all I wanted to be was anorexic again. And that may sound crazy to people, but for me, I was like, that was that was when life was good. And- Yeah, well, I see I, that in my practice, even with yeah. people when they first
2: break up with sugar and there's that like euphoric honeymoon, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that idea of restricting and that you can't get that same restricting back. You know, it's yeah. like, it's so hard. You're always like chasing it. I think that's where the relationship piece- I mean, obviously, as a therapist, but, like, you know, it's, like, there's no relationship that's like that. I mean, yeah. if there is, tell me about it because I want to go do it. But usually, they're, like, hard work and pretty awesome, you know? yeah.
0: Well and it really relates back to the progression of the disease right my food addiction had progressed to so much and that I just was unable to not consume food anymore so I mm. found other ways to get rid of it that's what it was yeah. so y- you went from having a practice predominantly in eating disorders and then you went to working and uh, working with food addiction so one, what is- I think that
2: actually what, what was true also, because I was dealing with eating disorders, predominantly binge eating, and what ended up being true, I'd say 95% of the time, was I was not treating what needed to be treated. And once I started to identify that Yale food addiction scale, and once yes. I started to identify some of these pieces that were missing out of my practice... And at my practice, we do the food also. So we have a consulting nutritionist and we have a food plan that we help to negotiate because I don't think anybody ever follows the rules anyway. I don't think like the food's <laughs> so complicated. Like don't, if you have, t- anybody ever told me to eat four ounces of turkey, I'd be like, that is not happening, 0% <laughs> chance. So I truly run like a harm reduction food addiction clinic and being able to keep that all together and have people making their own diagnoses on this, right? Because what we know about all addictions, but most certainly addictions and weight loss and everything is that you know self determination. Really, having your own why is the only thing. Is there's literally no evidence base of anything that we have at all, mm-hmm. except for that piece of information. And so, you know, that's what we I've found to be the deal. And and, I, and maybe differently from some of the guests that you have on. I'm. I mean, I I myself do not eat any sugar or flour, but I am certainly open to people finding their own path in this because Mm -hmm. I'm into sustainable results. And I don't, as an addict, I'm like, the minute you tell me what to do, I am doing the opposite. I love this quote. It's like my favorite quote in the world. I use it all the time, which is like, if somebody tells you that there's one way, run away, which I think is like my main issue with eating disorder culture, which is to say like, In my experience, eating disorder culture is telling me that the only thing that works is moderation Now, and intuitive eating. Now, I want to say something, and it's really important. I think that that actually works for some people. I just think it's insane to say that that works for all people (laughs) because I have a really big raging eating disorder, and I really went almost to the death physically and spiritually in trying to be a moderate eater. I mean, I would... And it really took a toll on my soul most of all because I, the shame of not being able to do what these eating disorder professionals are telling me. And I've had people come to my clinic, side note, side note on a, this is how, side note on a side note on a side note, you know, with pretty raging undiagnosed diabetes who have come from this these clinics of food challenges and you just have to be able to eat a piece of cake. You guys should see the amount of fights I've gotten in over this particular point. Oh my goodness. Because like, why? Why do you have to know how to eat a piece of cake? I'm all about like harm reduction and when you have a slip, you know, whatever. But like, why? And do you have to learn how to drink a glass of wine if you're an alcoholic? Like, I just don't, it just makes no sense to me is what I'm saying. So if somebody tells you that there's one way, you know, you just want to run
0: away from that. It's insane. So then did you find when you kind of changed that clinical focus that the individuals you were working with started to do better? Oh my
2: god, did you ever see like awakenings? It's not a good example, but um, but it was sort of like like no, like not only did that, it was literally like everyone got well, like everyone were yeah. like, struggling, you know, with the jelly sandwich of it all, you know, and binge eating on all, you know. Yeah, they were like, Oh, wait, I'm I, I saw it myself, and I didn't want to like that. Wasn't like I didn't walk in and be like, You guys, I've been lying to you this whole time, but it was like, Hey. I don't, I'm finding that, you know, a lot of the stuff isn't working and the science is better. And what if we try it? And people, it was insane what happened and continues to happen, frankly. I mean, when you really have the thing and then you get the treatment for the thing, it's pretty incredible how it works. Personally and professionally, I see that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of the eating disorder world kind of versus like the addiction world, because I am like, like you, I'm a dual licensed clinician in Montana. And um, that just even in my community, just the pushback, the pushback, the pushback, it's been very interesting. And, you know, so it makes sense how, like you, how you kind of morphed your, your clinical work towards that because- Right, like you said, as soon as you start treating people for what's actually happening, weird yeah. how they get better. So we heard you talking to Mike Collins on the Quit Sugar Summit about the International Eating Disorder Conference, and we just would love some clarification on what happened. What did you say to them? Have you presented?
2: The what's been the- <laughs> like? Loves a controversy.
1: We do. We are controversial. It's I okay. love that you
2: picked up like that for my conversation with Mike. Okay, here's the story. Here's the, here's the. Here's the skinny of it, kids. My really good friend, Brad, was like, you should do a presentation at the International Eating Disorders Conference. And I was like, I don't think I should do that. I don't think that's a good use of my time. And I say this, like, I'd say this to every, I mean, clearly I'm saying that, like, because they're not interested in it. They're not interested in food addiction. So like, why would I do that? I have a lot of things I have to do in a day. He keeps bothering me. Like, So about 48 hours before, I'm like, i like have a presentation. I'm thinking of whatever. I like get it together, throw it at them and it gets accepted. Again, just to like reference, Marty, I call Marty Lerner, who's been on your podcast. The He is the original gangster of food addiction. I say, Marty, you're never going to believe what just happened. He was like, wow, this is something. This is something fresh. We've never seen anything like this before. So I'm so excited about it. So then I get this like call from the International Eating Services Association. They're like, we need to talk to you. And I was like, wow. Okay. So they're either like going to fire me right now, or they're going to ask me to be their keynote. And we just had this like very interesting conversation where they said, listen, we, you know, we've been getting a lot of pushback about, you know, food addiction being like in our, you know, in our docket of what we're presenting. And I want to make it clear, like my presentation was actually about, I mean, I'm I'm a harm reduction food addiction person. I want to say the ultimate goal of harm reduction is abstinence, but I actually don't believe that full abstinence is possible for everybody. And usually the way to full abstinence is through reducing harm and reducing harm, which I've like already said today. And you know, what was happening was that the health at any size movement was really taking the idea of food restriction, which my thing wasn't really about, but just the idea of it, like, which I find fascinating and interesting and, and we just had a conversation where they offered me an opportunity to adjust my presentation in the service of of helping the health at any size movement feel more comfortable with what I was presenting. And, you know, I'm not here. I mean, I have a lot of friends. i I would call you two friends, and we've known each other about, you know, clocking in at twenty two minutes. And I actually said this to them. You know, what i what I said to them was that, you know I wasn't interesting I wasn't interested at all in adjusting my presentation and that I was I was acutely aware that being a food addiction person going to their conference was a controversial thing and that my term I used was that I want I was going and being Brene Brown brave you know like and I was like I didn't really want to go either you know like have people like sit and ask me like tons of questions about like this and that I was very nervous and yet you know, if someone tells you that there's one way run away, and I guess I live on this start, this like um, starfish principle, right? Like if I went to this and one person was able to help one person who wasn't getting well, and this is why. Um, and my approach is very comprehensive. It wasn't like my approach isn't like stop eating sugar and that's that. Like it's far more comprehensive than that as was my presentation. And I, I just thought, wow, we have a long way to go. You know, we have a long way to go. Uh, because I think you can't have one way to treat something like a food addiction or an eating disorder or an an NOS or whatever it is. I think we all have to stay very open. And I'd like to say, even in my clinic, when people have come knowing we do harm reduction, food addiction, I've said, hey, I think you want to go do intuitive eating. It seems like it's more your thing or, hey, let's try this. Like I'm never one to think that there's only one way. And even in my own recovery, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this, like, the recovery I had on day one and the recovery I have today are like miles apart, mostly in its freedom and like in my like, God, I just can't, I just, things that matter to me on day one, like, and things that matter to me today are just looser and better and safer and it's just more abundant, I think. And so I did not apply again. It was one and done. Maybe I'll apply another time if I have something else interesting to say. And frankly, I did it during COVID. So I didn't even have any Q&A. So for better or for worse, I'm I do I'm sort of sad about that because I would love to have um, been able to approach that.
1: Did you have any sort of feedback? Did anybody from that community, I mean, other than the initial feedback after your presentation um, aired? Well, in or fairness might,
2: yeah. to it, it they're... they're Conference was like in April of 2020. So oh, you know what I tough, mean? Tough like none time. of us, I don't think I don't know. I don't need that was like a blackout month to me, you know. So who knows? But you had have a to lot like, of yeah, but, people from
1: your email or anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> good.
2: That's but good. I I think we have a ways to go. And I think even in um in our presentation, I I think it's so important that I mean to me it was like when I made that presentation, I made it for them, not for me. I wasn't, I was just there to sort of synthesize and maybe bring up some questioning in the minds of people of like, oh, well, maybe this is something that I may be able to help somebody with. Not like, this is the only way, because I don't think this is the only way. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Molly and I are both big fans of like the gray area. Right. And harm reduction, we fully believe it. And because if you can get anybody on the better path earlier, why would we not do that? And why would we not try to help? I think that's right. And uh, I think one of the things I've heard you speaking about is with individuals, there's kind of four different outlets of addiction, one being volume, one being flour, one being dieting and one being sugar. And you yeah. mentioned on the Quit Sugar Summit that you found volume and dieting addiction to be tougher aspects of this disease than sugar or flour. No doubt. Can you speak more about that for our audience? Yes. Also, I'm in love with your Canadian
2: accent. Um,
1: <laughs> also, I just want to say I'm I'm totally the volume Dieter end of that sugar flour thing too. So it's a little bit of a selfish
2: question. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. so basically I'm we're volume two. Like <laughs> we're having so we're Yeah, um,
2: I love it. This is my kind of circle. So, so I think that, listen, so Marty Lerner talks so much about volume as a third addiction. And I, and I see that when I'm treating people. It's not to say that giving up sugar and flour is easy in any way, shape, or form but when you have somebody at um in when they are are holding on to weight and they want to release a significant amount of weight i always feel like the first like 20 or 30 pounds are like gimmies giving up sugar and flour and then you have to get a little bit more deliberate precise mindful and willing and that's where volume comes in and you know i've just i've treated so many people who you know are overeating binging Emotionally eating on brie cheese, steak, brown rice. You know, there's plenty of potato chips. I mean, there's plenty of food that doesn't have sugar and flour that we can cert cheese. I already said that. Certainly nuts. Anyway, we can certainly compulsively overeat. Right. And, you know, to me, it's a very, that's, that to me is like a very emotional trauma spiritual peace. I mean, that is a part I think is a beautiful part to do in a community or with a therapist is giving up that volume piece. I don't know that we can ever find accurate studies to talk about what really happens to the body, but there's certainly a lot of us that say, you know, that it's the very same thing as when we eat sugar, right? We still get that ease and comfort that comes up into the brain and the dopamine and everything like that. And I just think, you know, more anecdotally, as someone who will turn to volume from time to time, like it just makes me feel safe, and it numbs me out, and it's not as bad. Or I can live in a in a rationalization that it's not that bad. And both of those are true. Sometimes it's not that bad, and sometimes it's a rationalization that it's not that bad. The thing I think that, I, that is much much or as important to talk about is this addiction to dieting, because what I actually find is that. An addiction to dieting and diet culture can not allow people to get well because listen, as they say, if you want to know why you're over why you're overeating, stop overeating. Right. It's not like like there's like it's a relationship. I think the first thing that diet culture has sold us is that it's easy, it should be easy and it should be quick. And if it isn't, you're not on the right path. And what this does is destroys your relationship with yourself, and it destroys your relationship with success, and it destroys your relationship with recovery, and it destroys your relationship with food. And what I found in my years is that I'm treating people, and it's not going fast enough. It's not going as they've written, and uh, they they quit. And then, if we are talking about someone who's suffering from addiction, the story goes on, as my story went on. Right? It gets it's the same story, getting worse and worse. And so actually the second chapter of my book, I haven't talked about food yet. I've introduced myself. And then the second chapter of my book is this thing called The Sacred Vow. Because the thing is, is that, especially if you're like me, like I'm a 12 out of 12 on that food addiction scale. Like there's not one I that wasn't dotted or one T that wasn't crossed. And like, let me tell you something Oh my goodness! When I gave up the sugar and flour, I was like laying on my floor, like Namaste anger. Like I was just, it was all coming up. You know, I had so much of my own person. Like there was a lot of reasons I weighed three hundred twenty five pounds, and the first time I had an opportunity to deal with it was when I was when, was when my food got in order. And if I cut and run right there and said, "Well, this isn't how I pictured," you know, it because, you know, this Instagram says that it should be easy, and this Instagram says it's amazing, and you know, and this podcast says I should be counting my macros. I'd be like, macros before feelings any effing day of the week. Do you know what I mean? Like any, like any, I'll do anything but have these feelings. But the fact is that the true peace and and I mean, I have I have recovered please. I've like over-recovered. Like I, when I first gave up sugar and flour, like I remember I went to this therapist and I was like, listen, I hate myself. Like I'm a terrible person. And like whatever. Part of that was my trauma. And part of that was just like how much I'd abused myself by the time I got there. Like sugar's not my own, sugar and flour are not my only substance. Like you name it, I got it. You know, and we, we went through a lot of therapy about, you know, my belief system and my trauma and everything. And and there's no way I would have done that if I wasn't Cued into the idea that I already do it, like the food was taken care of. You know what I mean? Like, like I was on this path, I was in this recovery, is in this relationship with food that didn't have sugar and flour. I was managing that. That was sort of taken care of. Now it's time to get to business. And like, I got to tell you, like, I'm so grateful. I don't even know how I I stayed the course. I'm on it now, but like, I'm so, I feel so blessed that. I wasn't like, oh, yeah, well, this isn't working. Like, oh, let me go try. Like, there was this time. It was my favorite. This was one of my favorite stories on earth. I think I told this at Mike's, but I just love the story so much. because Also, has to do with my friend Nikki, who's like amazing. Nikki Glance, she's an amazing nutritionist. So I'm like watching TV, and my friend Daryl from high school has a book, and Kelly Ripa is talking about his book, and it has to do with like alkaline. And I'm like maybe six, seven years off sugar and flour, like running my eating disorder clinic in New York, like, you know, just another Tuesday morning, nine o'clock, Kelly Ripa. And I have this thing that happens to me. I was like, oh, it's the alkaline. That's what's wrong. That's what's wrong. Okay. So I go to, I call Nikki because she's like my person. I call Nikki. I was like, Nikki it's the alkaline. I think I have to really look into this. You know, I think I really have to look into this. I think I got to look at these alkaline foods and non alkaline. I got to, and Nikki's like, you know what, you got to do, Molly? You got to go to work. And, you know, I get the story so important. It's like, like I was in like perfect, reco- all good. You know, it's like, and you think about it like cheating, right? Like you're sort of like in a good relationship. And like all of a sudden, it's like hottie comes by or you're like on Facebook and like you're, you see like your old high school boyfriend. It's like all of a sudden, like, you know, separated or like it's complicated. Like, it still comes in like diet culture. Like I was at a normal, I want to say like I was at a normal weight, like it was literally a Tuesday. And I think it's like, that's how incredibly seductive diet culture is. And actually I find, I treat a lot of men in my practice. And for some, I find actually they are worse diet addicts. I don't know, everybody's pretty bad, but men, because it's so like black and white, it's like, oh, this isn't working, Molly, I need to do this. I'm like, or we're having a feeling that we need to talk about. Like that is probably what's happening. And, I don't know about you guys, but no, I love a feelings wheel. Do you love a feelings wheel? I love a feelings wheel like more than life.
1: They're great. They're great. Because I know. People, right. They'll be like, I'm feeling blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, that's, that's a thought. That is, that is so not a feeling. Okay. That's Molly, a thought. do you
2: hand them? So <laughs> like, I love on Zoom. And they're like, like
1: color coded. Like, and
2: yep. I'm like screen yep.
1: share. Yep.
2: Yes. I'm yes. like, how about a feeling? And yes. like, almost like now it's like a aversive. They're like, no, no, no. I know what I'm, and I know what I'm feeling. You don't have to put up the feelings wheel. I love a feelings wheel <laughs> more than life itself really
0: <laughs> that's so, that's great i love it <laughs> okay so i think that i will talk about thought balancing <laughs> Are you just picking cards over there? Okay. I you know. Things. so. No. I love
1: it. I think that I'm just so, so into, you know. I'm just so into this <laughs> conversation <laughs> and that I'm just like not paying attention. We don't have to pay attention. No. We, no, yeah, I, yeah,
0: yeah. we also no, have to no. do disclaimer. We're both off caffeine because yes. like you say, you know, we talk to all these guests and- just, uh,
2: Can we have a podcast on that? I yeah. that is, I want to say something. I'm never interested in giving up caffeine. Yeah. Don't. Never you don't have heart. to. <laughs>
0: Molly texted me and said, life is not worth living without caffeine. With I almost you. had to go to Montana. <laughs> it would have been an illegal border
1: co- crossing. You guys are sure.
0: both
2: detoxing <laughs> off caffeine. Today.
1: Yeah. So, so sorry. So this happened to us before too. Like I just get so involved in the guest as I should. You're amazing. Everybody's as amazing. You. Thank you. And, and then Clarissa has to pick up my slack because apparently I'm doing, <laughs> I think it's also, I have mom brain and then no caffeine. So. <laughs> I, yeah. So, so no, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, I had wanted to talk to you a little bit about like some of your DBT, the DBT stuff that you do, the, the thought I'm balancing, and that kind GBT. of stuff. Yes. Well, and, and that's where I'm excited about it because I'm, I'm CBT. We talked to Jen Unwin a few weeks ago, and she does solution focus. And I just think, you know, DBT has these really great skills that I love giving to people. Um, And so if you could speak a little bit to, you know, that idea of like thought balancing and dancing in the gray. And and my guess is you use DBT skills to kind of help people get there. So can you speak a little bit to that, how you actually work with clients?
2: Well, I'm obsessed with DBT because... It's so evidence-based, but I'm also obsessed with DBT because it's so humanistic. You know, DBT is a principle-based treatment with a lot of protocols, which means that there's just these beautiful principles that it's rooted in, and then you just kind of like cherry pick what you want to put in, you know? And so some of these principles that Marsha Linehan, like uh, all hail the queen, you know, has has really put in, I think really works for... So... You know, DBT was made for borderline personality disorder. And one of the big criteria in borderline personality disorder is a chronically invalidated person who's rate, you know, and so whether or not the people I'm treating are borderline, which by the way, they're mostly not every single person who has struggled with diet drama and diet trauma is a chronically invalidated person, right? Because they've been saying, no, like, this is my truth. And diet culture is like, there's something wrong with you that you can't do this. And they're like, no, this is my... And so in that way, you know, the core of DBT is this idea of your wise mind, right? This idea of this your your reasonable mind and your emotion mind, like getting forces and this deep truth inside of you, right? Which is, by the way, like every single religion and spiritual foundation is rooted in this. And so... I think the first thing I love most of all about DBT is that it's so rooted in Zen Buddhism and it's so rooted in mindfulness, which I don't love as a word, but as a definition in DBT, it's refocusing your attention back to your internal wisdom. And what I want to say about that, and we all have that, right? It's just our guts. It's like that knowing. I've asked this question in my group so many times where I'm like, have you ever just known something to be true? And the answers are like salacious, you know, like, well, I just knew I had to get divorced. I knew it was time to retire. I knew that I had to leave my husband. Like, they're so amazing. One of the things that diet culture does to us is erases the concept that we have a wisdom. And I swear, if I never talk about food again, and I just help people to get that wise mind out of the ICU, you know, even if that means, like, by the way, like, this is what I say all the time to people, like, So I'm like, should I have chickpea pasta? I'm like, go have chickpea pasta. Like the world's not going to end. Like, let me know how it goes for you. Like, I don't, do you know what I mean? Like, what about this protein bar, Molly? I was like, you know, if you eat three of them, then you probably shouldn't eat them anymore. Like people have like lost- their sense of self in all of this, right? Like, and to me, there's two relationships that you have to be in. There's no choice, which is a relationship with food and a relationship with yourself. And they go hand in hand in hand. And so creating this idea, so what I always say to people is, when you can access your wise mind, and I don't know if you guys agree with this, let me know. When you can access your wise mind, which, you know, is a practice, some days better than others. Helps with things like meditation and breath and all these other things. I'm pretty obsessed with them. I like side hustle as like a spiritual person. If you're in your wise mind, there's no binging in your wise mind, period. If you're in your wise mind, there's no night eating. Like because you ha- cause you- cause you're like in touch with what is right for you. And by the way, in your wise mind, it's like, yeah, chickpea pasta doesn't work for me. Or like, you know, I went through this like, you know, vegan donut. Like I was able to like, convince myself that it's like vegan donuts work. That was not a wise mind choice. When my wise mind woke up, it was like, yeah, these don't work well. Cause like you want to leave work at 3 PM <laughs> to go get your vegan donut. That's not wise mind. You know what I mean? And so to me, like the core of that, and so all the skills that go around in DBT, all those skills are in the service of helping you to find your wise mind, get there faster, manage emotions, and might, you know, I mean, the one, which is the only, I mean, they're all so important, but so we put down the food, we got the food plan, good to go. But then like life happens and we have this one skill, which is going to the food, right? And so Marsha Linehan made this whole thing about distress tolerance skills and learning how to, go through really hard times without making them worse. And, you know, my like thing is like food is not a skill, right? Food is not a skill. And worse than that, worse than that is if we're going to keep food in our skill set, we have none of the other skills are going to work. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you tell me right now, 12 years into this thing, you can either go like listen to music or eat carrots. Carrots. I'd be like, carrots, thousand percent of the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, Molly, do you want an Apple or do you want to make a phone call? I'd be like, Apple probably, unless there's like a, there's a lot of people I like really would love to talk to. And so, you know, you got to take food off the table as a skill. And that's not what I think. Is actually Marshall Linehan says that like very clearly, that change is impossible while the target behavior is on the table. That's a lot of what we do like in my communities is just start to like, be in community with this and this is and like because the problem is is that diet culture kind of ruined that. Like, how many of those conventional diets were you on? Sitting in that group where they're like, getting a bubble bath, like writing your journal, and I'm like, ugh, you clearly don't understand how hard my pain is. I hate you, leader. You know, and then you read the data, and it's like, oh. I have to learn how to do this, you know? I can remember the first time I ever did it, my therapist was like, you know, Molly, not everybody like wakes up in bed with chocolate on their face or something, like not that nice, but she was a good therapist. And she was like, why don't you try to do it? Why don't you see what happens? And I, cause it was like when ER was still on and like, so it dates me back. And I just remember like being home and I'm like, okay, like what do normal people do? Okay, I'm gonna like wash my face. I'm gonna get in my pajamas and I'm gonna like watch ER like put my BlackBerry away and like watch ER. And I was like sitting there like an alien, I'm like, wow, okay. So this is how people might live. And like now it's just like a thing, right? But practice makes progress. Like I always say to people, like I'm just like a few years ahead of you, like practice makes progress. And so like there's so... The other thing that DBC is very, very rooted in is validation, you know, and that's something like I'm working so much with like my communities and like I think it's kind of like the place I'm moving right now is really into like diet culture and healing like some of this internal stuff because... I don't even think we notice but I think that that this diet drama and trauma has made us incredibly unkind to ourselves and, and they say in DBT you know that, that chronic invalidation is a form of abuse and I think if you would have like clocked me talking to myself for like 5 days in the midst of my addiction you'd be like whoa that's like an abusive that's like a bad neighborhood mall. And so I think like starting to clock some of this like self-invalidation that happens to us, which, gosh, I just think we're trying the best we can. And negativity bias is negativity bias, like the CBT of it all mall, you know? And it's like really overcoming some of this negativity bias to like really reroute like what we're saying, how we're saying, how we believe it, who we're hanging out with. Like there's a lot to be done once we stop eating sugar and flour. And there's a lot to be done to... um you know, enhance and maintain that relationship and like really learn how to create a whole new relationship with food, which at least for me, and I think the thousands of people I've treated, like I am unrecognizable in my relationship with myself. I would, I love myself. I'm the, I'm the best. It is not, I mean, there's a girl 15 years ago. It's like, what are you saying? Stop talking like that. It's weird. <laughs> you know? So that's my, sort of my short version of DB. I didn't talk thought balancing. Okay. Sorry, Molly. Molly, I didn't even answer your question. It's like I gave up caffeine by proxy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me just tell you about thought bouncing because here's the other thing about DBT that I missed. Favorite word of DBT: two favorite two favorite phrases in DBT. It depends. Great, great for us food addicts. And and uh, and and right. And so you know, I oh, this positive psychology spirituality bypass. Like everything's great. Like it's so amazing to give up sugar and flour. Like no, it's not. It's balanced. Right. Like, and and so we come to these, this is the idea of dialectics and DBT. Like, there is two opposing ideas that we need to find synthesis. And the problem is, is when we get so black and white in our thinking, it's like, you know, I'm really struggling and I don't want to give up sugar and flour. And I desperately, desperately, desperately want the freedom that comes with sugar and flour. Right. And those are two opposing ideas that we need to find synthesis, that we need to balance that thought, you know, and we can do that really slowly. And one of the questions we ask in DBT is like, well, what are we missing here? Like, what are we missing in all of this is my favorite question. And so we start to think about like, well, can we put an end on that? Like, maybe they're both true and maybe they can both like live at the same time and then we can see and maybe some days it'll be 60, 40 and something. Day... And so when you can loosen up, you know, those polarizations and you can find some synthesis and that's what thought balancing is. It's like, I don't know, like truth is my serum. You know, truth is really my my life's blood. And so if you're going to tell me, and I'm in this a long time that like, you know, it's absolutely the best decision that I've ever made. And sometimes it's very hard, you know? And so it is. And that's an easy way to live wh- when when it can come in and be really hard and there can be really challenging days. I mean, but that's relationship. Yeah. Relationship is the essence of thought balances, yeah. right? It is real. For real.
1: Yeah. yeah. I love it. Oh my gosh. I mean, and I, I find myself saying that a lot with clients too. Can it be both and? Yeah. Can't it be... I would never go back, you know, and I'm only three years on my sugar sober or, you know, food sober journey, long time recovery for many years. But, you know, just I trying to talk to people and say, like, it's both. And like, if I could go back to eating those foods to have that numbing effect when these emotions come. Yeah. But is my life so much better now in that? Like, I can actually feel those things and I'm not like a rageaholic with my children and my husband, you know, like all those different things. Absolutely. But are there days that are hard? Yes. Would I give it up? No. Like I just we have to be able to, and I call it dancing in the gray, but certainly, you know, you call it thought balancing and, and I, I call and it I don't, lots of things. Yeah, I think it's the essence it of,
2: mm-hmm. of really like that, you know, I love that, that declemente stages of change model. Like, yeah. I think it's the essence of what gets us into acceptance is the allowing of everything to be true. Like, again, just like the kind of defiance in me, like, don't tell me I can't have a, fee. like, don't tell me I can't hate my partner one day, like sometimes I do like, and then that passes. Like when we deny the truth is when it doesn't pass, right? Like there's days where I'm like, I don't know, out at a summer party and everyone's just like drinking and eating with abandon. And I'm like, well, this isn't as fun as I wish it was. And this kind of sucks. And that's not a permanent, it's not a tattoo. It's a fleeting thing if I let it be fleeting. And so it is.
0: Yeah, I have to think, I think we have to remember like we are human and these feelings are okay. And it doesn't mean that just because we have a feeling or think a thought that that's us a hundred percent all of the time.
2: And I hate to say, I hate to be a broken record here, but if you're listening, like I I also want you to kind of tag diet culture because diet culture tells us we're not allowed to have hard days. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Diet culture is like, well, you should be done in 30 days and that's that. (laughs) And there's no hard times. It's like relationships say uh, there's lots of hard times. We get through them and, you know, we learn and we grow when we develop and it all passes. You know, that's the Buddhism of it.
0: Yeah. you know, we're all going to have highs and lows. We learn to manage the lows and we learn to enjoy the highs. Yep. And you can't
2: have highs without lows. Like that's what we know about emotions, right? Exactly. You can't actually feel like deep love unless you know deep sadness. Oh, and there's some um, like serious grief and sadness when you get abstinent and it's over. Like absolutely.
0: Oh yeah. I definitely use your grief letter with the yeah, clients that I work wow. with. Be- and it's so important for them, right? Because it's just that next step to say goodbye. And it also highlights the reasons they need to do it. Absolutely. Wait, can I just say one thing about that? Because yeah, when I was
2: writing Breaking Up a Sugar, I had eight people reading it with me who are kind of in different stages. And there was a woman, I love her, Gail. She, um, she was maybe like three months in and she was like a devotee. And I wrote that and I was like, And she was like, Molly, you need to make sure that you tell people that this letter may change and that they may go back every now and then. Like, cause like, you know, and like, cause that's sometimes, I don't know, if you look at my college relationship with Mark, you know, in and out, in and out, in and out, you know, and of course, (laughs) and of course, as Marty Lerner would say, feelings fade over time if they're not re-stimulated. So it is best to be, done and done but it's like sometimes we go back and we just need to like burn our hand one more time and that's okay too as long as we're doing it with you know as I say with compassion and curiosity and a corrective action plan that's the mm-hmm. big thing in harm reduction that people don't pay enough attention to is that corrective action plan piece people yeah. just think like oh well I ate three donuts and I usually eat six like why we want to be thoughtful about what our goals are and who we want to be and how we want to be treating our bodies and all of this you know
0: Yeah, both of us actually have clients who are new moms or new dads taking on this journey, and they're trying to remain abstinent for themselves, but not put their new way of living, new way of eating on their family. And especially with young kids, they don't want to create that diet mentality, diet culture. Of course. So how do you, would you have any suggestions for them as to... Well, the dad
2: has lots of suggestions. So I mean... All right, dad, I have like like five God kids and it's the best job on earth because that's just like the perfect amount of parenting for me. But the data data really says that it's really about your relationship with food. It's about how you talk about food. It's about how you talk about about yourself, right? So I think if you're, so I want to say, I think the greatest gift, if you're a a real food addict, the greatest gift you're going to give to your kids is not eating sugar. If that's, if that's your allergy, right? I don't think a real food addict attempting moderation while they're trying to mother, you know, EIEIO is like a helpful or loving thing to do. That's my opinion. Text me, we can talk more about it. But what the data says is this beautiful New York Times article that actually was a, one of the most amazing articles that I read. It really talks about more like, and, and it's true about kids in general, right? They're watching, they're not listening, you know, they're watching right? So if you're like body checking all the time and like complaining, you know, I think about one of my best friends that is so, I mean, she's like my sister. And all she ever says to me is like, you look amazing. Like, oh my God, you're so skinny. Oh my God. you're ge-. And like, I think she's always like many years later, just incredibly impressed that I don't weigh 325 pounds anymore, but she's three kids and two girls. And I just said, listen, you have to stop talking about my body. You have to stop talking about your body. You have to start talking about like, if this is healthy, if this is like we need much more neutrality around here. And so I think that like, if you're an awake parent and you're not eating sugar and flour and you're feeding your kid nutritious foods and trying to moderate them and you're saying, mom is on the mood for that today and you're enjoying the food you're eating and you're loving yourself and you're taking care of yourself, like that's great. I also think this idea of like, you know, I'll see you like F up parenting a lot. And so if you're like trying your hardest, but I think the, the greatest gift we give to our children is to heal. And so if you're healed from your eating store and you have neutrality around food and neutrality around your body and you're loving that, I mean, gift that to your kids and, like, worry about the rest later, right? I'll send you guys this article, by the way. They can give Yeah, that would
1: be great, actually. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that is something that I think about a lot personally, too, just because I do have two girls, eight and five, or eight and five. Yeah, eight and five. Oh my gosh, they just had birthdays. <laughs> oh, I'm forgetting birthdays. The caffeine. Um, yeah, it's the caffeine thing again. And and that's what we do. You know, my my eight-year-old especially will be like, Oh, you're not having this thing. And I'm like, Nope, I don't eat that because it makes my body feel a certain way, right? That. Like it gives me headaches or I just don't, whatever. And, and I so, think
2: at the beginning you could even say, like, I'm not in the mood. Like it's yeah. you know what I mean, like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I think people really overthink it. And part of me actually thinks that it's like, if you go into that real addictions model, that like there's a part of us that doesn't like there's a dissonance, right? Like part of Mm -hmm. us is like, oh, yeah, well, I have to start eating sugar now because I have to show like moderation to my children. Like I think you have to do, listen, I mean, nothing's easy in this lifetime. It's like you have to do a little bit of a weighing out of what the outcome of what your children see. If like, yes, if I don't eat birthday cake, but I'm, available and present and engaged mm-hmm. and not body checking and loving myself. Like, I think that's worth it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now I know we're running over on time, so I've got I've got a really important question. Okay. Tell us about your next book if you can.
2: Well, I am just in like the baby stages of it, but I will tell you, I'm really moving into, you know, I love... I don't love trauma, but what I'm, you know, what I'm seeing now, right? Diet culture, trauma, getting into our bodies, right? And so, and I think this idea of, you know, forgiveness being such an important practice in how we thrive, as you guys would say, how we thrive and, and how we have relationship with food. And so it's like breaking up with sugar is a real, like how to break up with sugar, right? How do I break up with sugar and flour? Give me some exercises to do, give me a roadmap of how to do it and have lasting love and give me some skills. The second book is like, all right, what now? <laughs> you know, like, and I think you guys know, cause you have some years. It's sort of like, it's like the second year book, like, okay, but, um, but there's this body stuff and I have some trauma and I don't know what to do when I screw it up. And, and, you know, and so I think the second book is a lot about how to be in relationship with food, you know, really be in relationship with food. And, um, and so that's, uh, that's what we're doing. We're figuring out, and we're doing a lot of. And the other thing I want to say is, like, I don't, I don't like to do things that I think work. Um, and so, what we're doing is in- integrating a lot of this divorcing dieting ideas into my clinic right now, and doing a lot of beta testing because. I feel like um, I dedicate the book to Marty Lerner, but also to the reader because I think the idea that somebody would pick up a book after having diet trauma and trauma and give it one more try is just about the nicest thing anyone's ever done for me in their life. And so I like to make sure I'm giving like
0: the good stuff out. Yeah, I think it's so necessary too because you know that first book kind of speaks a bit to like the abstinence piece and the next right. what book speaks to the recovery, like a life of recovery.
2: Ooh, there you, I mean, I mean, yeah, come on board. I'll have you guys <laughs> read the best if you want.
0: It's Amazing. I can we'll see on with, your I new, I new podcast. podcast I'm having the best time. <laughs> I told you it's like a coffee. Like we're just having a coffee, you know. It's great. I have so enjoyed this conversation with Me you. Me too. We do have a signature question and I am very excited to know how you will answer it. If you could tell a younger version of yourself something about sugar, flour, volume eating, dieting addiction, and recovery, what would it be?
2: I mean, I would just want to stare her in the eye and hold her in her cutest little face as the the cutest little face. And I would just want to say, you're enough, exactly as you are. I love you. It's going to work out better than you ever imagined you know, period. And follow your heart because it never goes wrong.
0: Oh, it's making me a little teary. I got to say, I love that so much. Yeah. It has so much power. Yeah. yeah. Thank I you. try to take really good
2: care of her these days, little Molly. Yeah. She chills with me. She screams a lot, you know, <laughs> Molly, is a, Molly is a five-year-old. Five-year-old Molly is like a lot, but you know, got to reparent. That's the way we do it. That's So funny!
1: Thank you so much. I can I can just envision a five year old Molly myself. So I'll thank you, I'll you I'll so send you much for the picture me. with
2: that New York Times article. Yeah, You'd be like, yes. oh, we totally get it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so
1: much, thank and you we appreciate you giving us your time.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies: Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group. I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.